Good evening. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be finishing chapter 9 and actually going in a little bit to chapter 10. And we're going to be talking about missions today, which is timely since five of us are going to be going to Haiti Thursday or Wednesday. Yeah, Thursday, I'd be late. Um, And so it's kind of neat how this is just worked out, didn't plan on it, but I think it's a neat opportunity for us to look and see just the context of mission and what God has established for that. And let's pray as we get started. Lord, once again, as we come before you, Lord, we want to be open to what you would minister to us through the scriptures tonight. Father, we pray that you would give us eyes of understanding, Lord, and a heart that is receptive. May we fight off distraction, and Lord, may we be attentive. May we listen, Lord, with our hearts as well as our ears. And may you speak to us, Father, things that will be helpful for our lives as we follow you and seek to follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've been going through Matthew's gospel, we've been looking at what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, what it means to have faith in him. And last week we looked at different areas where that faith showed up and how there was response to Jesus in different ways. Jesus is continuing to speak to his disciples, and as he's moving forward in his ministry and accomplishing the things that he wants to we see that there is a need that is there that we are to fulfill. In verse 35, read with me, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. When you hear the idea, hear that someone's going to be speaking on missions, I, I don't know what your response is, but a lot of people's response is, oh no, missions, we're going to be told what God wants us to do. I came to church to get something from God, not be told I need to give something to God. I don't know if that's your idea, but sometimes that's been mine in the past, to just be honest. That the idea of missions is, oh no, now I'm going to be have this kind of pressure put upon me of what I need to do, and it just makes me a little bit awkward, a little bit uncomfortable. 
when you talk about missions, some people have an idea or are opposed to missions, even in the Christian arena, that, you know, you really shouldn't try to, to convert people. You know, you think of missions and you think of the Indians and maybe some of the, the missions that were taking place throughout California and how they were kind of forced upon this indigenous people and you might have a bad concept of it and, you know, you really shouldn't try and convert people to our faith. You know, who are we to assert our beliefs on other cultures or other religions? And so some people have the idea of missions and kind of meet it with opposition, that we shouldn't uh, try and force our ideas on other people. But understand this, that all ideas try and convert. It doesn't matter what arena they're in, political arena. They try and convert people to their political party. Even in sports, we want to convert people to our favorite basketball team or football team, Music, I want people to be converted to the type of music I listen to. I remember our kids growing up, the battle over the radio station. Our daughter would want one kind of music. The boys, no, that's so stupid. How can you listen to that junk? Oh, no, listen to our music. And then, no, I don't want to listen to that music. Everyone wants to present their view on what music should be played or listened to. I remember one time our daughter, growing up in her phase, she said, the only real music is classical music. That's the only good music. That lasted a couple of months. But all ideas try and convert. And, and even this idea that you shouldn't try and convert people to your beliefs, by presenting that, you're trying to convert me to believe that I shouldn't convert people of their beliefs. So in its essence, you're idea is flawed because it's trying to do what it is opposing. And so we find ourselves here thinking, okay, so what is this idea of missions? What if something really is good? What if something is true and beneficial for those who are hurting and who are in need, wouldn't it be wrong not to try and bring people to an understanding of this truth? And you see, I believe that is the context from which Jesus is speaking. Jesus isn't trying to, to force himself on them so that he can be powerful. We're not trying to convert people so we can get notches on our belt or so that our church can be bigger. What we're trying to do is present truth to people that can help them, that can benefit them. And it's done in a manner that is going to be humble, caring, loving, but at the same time necessary. And so some look at this as a religious duty, missions. We have to go out on missions. And some look at it as a dread, you know, what Jesus is asking us to do is to go and to be awkward and uncomfortable around people, to make us social parasites. Jesus wants us to go into conversations and to ask people out of the blue. So if you died and find yourself before God, what are you going to say to let him in, allow you into his kingdom? 
And the people are, what? I was just trying to eat my hamburger, dude. You know, leave me alone. And this idea of, you know, I have to go and I have to force this conversation. And what Jesus is really trying to do is make it so that I have no more friends. <laughs> Jesus essentially wants me to be a standout in society. He's trying to alienate me from all other people because I have to make this mission, this obligation, this duty happen. And I have been a part of that kind of conversation. I don't know if you have or not, but I've been a part of the conversation that if you don't go and tell people about Jesus right now, every person that you meet, then you're responsible if they go to hell or not. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to, to deal with this. And I remember going out to, we're going to go street witnessing. We're going to go, we had to go to a park and we went to this park. And I think I've shared this story before where I was, okay, I got to talk to someone about Jesus. I got it. And I go to this man who's at the park in the playground with his kids. And as I go walking him with my big Thompson chain reference Bible in my hand, I go, excuse me, sir, can I talk to you? And he's like, oh, please, I'm just trying to spend some time with my kids. And I felt bad. And it felt awkward, and it felt like I was forcing the situation to happen. And I was just thinking to myself, is this really what it's about? But what we find here is that mission is not born out of obligation, but is actually born out of compassion. And this passage helps us to, to put a framework of what mission's really about. What is behind it? What is the motive? We see in verse 35 that Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues. It says that he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. That word proclaiming is preaching, just for you, Michael. Um, the kingdom and healing every disease. This is something that Jesus did. We see this also take place in chapter 4, verse 23. The teaching, the proclaiming, and the healing. The, the teaching has to do with giving instruction. He was helping them to understand. The proclaiming is to making something known. And the healing is to being restoring. And it talks about disease and sickness, infirmities. He was making people whole. This is what he is motivated by. This was what he's trying to accomplish, to educate people, make them aware, to proclaim to them this good news and to bring wholeness to them. That is what's behind his mission. This is what he wants to accomplish. Healing them spiritually, emotionally, and physically. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is how we effectively represent Jesus, which is in our mission statement. By bringing this wholeness to people. To bring the whole gospel to the whole person and to the whole world. In verse 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Those words, he had compassion on them, is actually just one word in the Greek. And what it literally means is the inward parts. 
And so when Jesus saw the crowds, the inward parts of him desired what was best for the people. He cared so much about them that it affected him to the core of his being. And this is what's supposed to happen. This is not a push of our agenda. This is a genuine concern for others. You know, motive is so important. It's everything. If your motive is wrong, even if you're doing the right thing, it can be for nothing. If your motive is to show someone how much knowledge you have, how good you are, how faithful you are to God, then your motive is not proper. It's going to take you in the wrong direction. But if your motive is really concerned for these people, then you've got the heart of what it is to be in mission. It's to care for people. It was funny. My daughter and I went shopping for the trip to Haiti. We went to a thrift store, and the idea is that a lot of the clothes that we take we can leave with them. Don't have to be all the clothes, but a lot of the clothes. And there's a certain dress that they want us to have as we go to Haiti that is more in their culture to make sure, you know, we don't stand out too much or aren't too over the top. And so we went there. My daughter had these skirts, and she came out after getting her clothes. She's all excited, and she has this skirt and this shirt, and she goes, look, Dad, I'm a missionary. And she comes out there, and, you know, it just... Of course, I think she's cute because she's my daughter, and and she is. Um, But what I thought was interesting is not just, you know, look, I have the look of the missionary. It's that, you know, we're going to go out to these people. And I was touched, and it means so much to me that she wanted to go to Haiti, that she wanted to take her resources, her money, and, and to pay for the hotels and to take care of this. You know, she she could have gone somewhere else. The money that she's using to go to Haiti, she could have went to New York or, you know, maybe even Hawaii or someplace, but she wanted to go to Haiti. And there is this concern that is for the people and wanting to be a help to these people who are in need that really is what mission is about. It's about being concerned and compassionate for the people. And as Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved. He had compassion on them. He cared about them. The inward parts of him were affected. And then it says that he was compassionate on them or moved to compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The idea of harassed, Some translations have the word faint. It has this idea of they were oppressed. They were pressed on by a legal obligation. That they had to earn God's approval. That they weren't good enough for God's love. And so they became faint trying to be good for God's love. They were pressured. They were harassed. It wasn't proper. They were kind of being bullied in this religious element. And then it talks about them being helpless or or scattered. It's the idea of that they were dispersed. They, They had no way to find God. There was an obstruction there. 
And so they were pushed aside. They were thrown aside, essentially. It means they were flung aside. When they were trying to find God, they were just flung to the side. They were harassed and helpless. And Jesus sees this and he compares it, he illustrates it to sheep who don't have a shepherd. And so remember, now Jesus is wanting to bring healing, wanting to bring a wholeness to people, wanting what is best for them. He's moved for them and he sees them being pressured and pressed and being flung to the side. And so he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What's Jesus' response to seeing the people in this condition? His response is he sees them as harvest. He doesn't say, you know what? These people are pretty messed up. We need to really shield ourselves so that they don't affect us. We need to keep them in a distance and keep ourselves from the world and all its evils. He sees harvest. This is the heart of God for mission. He sees harvest. He looks at the world and he sees harvest. What do we see? When we look at the world, what do we see? Oh, I see pollution. I, I see moral decline. I see the wickedness of this world. Jesus sees harvest. Oh, I see people who are opposed to what is right. People who are opposed to the goodness. I see the hardness of people's hearts. I see them trying to make laws and pass laws that are against God's word and against God's people. Jesus sees harvest. This is the heart of mission. If we are going to affect the world around us, we need to see as Jesus sees. And we need to see harvest. I've been dialoguing with a, a friend of mine who's in Wales. And when I was over there, and you, I met him in 2005 and saw him again in 2006 and seven for a brief time, and had some incredible and neat conversations with him about God, some of the most honest conversations that I've had with anyone. And there was a time when he was just very open to this gospel message, and something between that time that we saw him last and now has happened where he has turned his back, basically, on what we would consider the gospel. And, and I know some of the things that have happened to him because I've had dialogue with him in the past. I've instant messaged him in the past about some of the things that happened. I know that one person came to him. It was a, a street preacher that was there in Wales. And at that time, he had long dreadlocks. I mean, really long, just amazingly long, just noticeably long. The guy was just, you know, and then they'd be down here and he could make them do all kinds of things. And he was a skater. He liked to do inline skating, and he was incredibly talented. I've seen this guy do things that was just mind-boggling. You know, jump, you know, 13 steps, 30 feet, and land, and just like, oh, my gosh, my knees hurt just seeing him do some of this stuff. 
And one day he was out in the town square and he was skating and some street preacher saw him with his dreadlocks skating and just started blasting him that he was a sinner. He smoked pot and he did all these things. And he was just starting to go to church. He was just starting to be a part of this conversation of Jesus and someone had to go up to him and start dealing with how he looked and some of the things that he might have been involved in and just started blasting him. They didn't see harvest. And so now his heart is kind of bitter about the things of God. And in the dialogue that I've been having with him, he's saying, you know, what good is it? God's just going to judge you and he's going to, you know, what good is free will if you have to serve God or otherwise he's going to beat you? And that's kind of his idea. And as I was talking to him, I, I, I basically told him, you know, Ian, I probably disagree with a lot of the things you've heard about God, about Jesus and the scriptures. But I want you to know that God is love. He's life and truth. And if you turn from life, love and truth, there's consequences. But the conversations I've had with you have always been great and honest. And he responded to me and he said, you know, Sam, I appreciate you taking the time and talking to me like this. And he asked me, he goes, these things bother me. These questions are there and they bother me. And I see him as harvest. I, I see him as having genuine questions and getting blasted by the religious people for how he looks, for the way he conducts himself. Now, I know him. I know his life. I know he's a partier. I know he drinks. I know he was smoking pot. I know he does these things, but I also know him that he had genuine questions. I stayed up with him till three in the morning talking about these things and seeing someone who genuinely cared. And so I don't see him as just the outward someone who's this Rastafarian, pot-smoking, skating guy. I see him as someone who has questions. I see him as harvest. And I believe he is closer to God than he realizes. I believe that his questions are put there by God to be a magnet drawing him to the truth. Because God isn't there to just beat you if you don't do his will. That's not the heart of God at all. The heart of Jesus is compassion. He is moved inwardly because these people are harassed and helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd, and he cares for them. He sees them as harvest. How do we see them? Maybe the first thing we need to do is change the way we see things. Maybe the first thing we need to do is repent of how we see things. To ask God to give us his eyes and to give us his heart. To ask God to help us to care the way he cares for the people that we encounter. Not just in Wales or in Haiti or in Mexico, but in our neighborhoods, in our schools, and in our workplaces. The potential of the kingdom is in the gospel, this good news, this message. And the gospel rescues and changes people. We need to recognize that. That's 
where mission is. It, it starts with the love of God converting us first. And if we aren't converted, then we can never properly see mission until we see mission as the most loving thing that we can do for people. If we don't see mission as that, then we are selling it short. It's less than what it should be. Mission needs to be the most loving thing we can do to bring healing, to bring wholeness, to bring restoration for people. We do it out of compassion for those who are harassed and helpless, those who are scattered like sheep without a shepherd. This is what we want to do to bring them into a place of wholeness for those around us. And you know, this whole Advent conspiracy thing that we did throughout December, it, it really was an experiment to help us to see, to help us to expand our hearts in mission. It, it was to kind of give us a perspective that, you know what? What if we really did care about others and not just ourselves? What if we really wanted to, to give of ourselves in, in every way so that we could be a benefit to others? If we're not careful, what we will do is what seems to always happen. Our giving will be limited to the extent of, of how we think it should be in our lives. In other words, what we do is, well, you know what? I, I give financially so much. I give my 10%, so I do what's necessary. That's all I have to do. I give of my time. You know, I put in so many hours a week to help serve at the church or a soup kitchen or whatever it is. I do what is necessary. I've filled my quota. I, I've met what I need to meet. But God wants us not to give so much, not to do so much. God wants us to be moved. God wants to change the inward parts. God wants us to see people as harvest. And there is always work to be done. And he is always going to challenge us to Go out and do this work. It's, if it becomes just the finances, just the service, and it's no longer compassion that's driving us, then it becomes a religious obligation. It's now about how much we do compared to how much someone else does. And it's no longer about the people that we're supposed to be doing things for. It's about, well, I do this, I do that, I do this. It's not about the people. We don't see them helpless, harassed. We don't see them as the harvest. We just see what we do. And so the whole idea of the Advent conspiracy is let's, let's see more. Let's see what we can do to help others. Let's open our eyes and hopefully, hopefully see that there's a lot more that can be done if we are willing to do it. And then what does Jesus ask? He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So what does he ask us to do? He asks us to pray. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. 
he asks us to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out people. He doesn't ask us to make committees. He doesn't ask us to put together clever things. He doesn't ask us to go to seminary to learn how to communicate better. He asks us, first of all, that we would pray, that we would ask the Lord to to send out people, workers for this harvest. And he just needs people who will go. He just needs people who can go and take the bucket and collect the harvest. He doesn't need people who have certain requirements, education, degrees. He just needs workers, laborers. And this picture that is here is just that of the laborer. And you guys have seen people who are out in the fields who are just going and collecting the strawberries or whatever it is. They're just workers. All he needs is people who will go out there and do the work. Just needs people. We don't need some method to evangelize. We just need to care for people to want to bring them what is best for them. To have a heart of compassion, to be concerned about them enough to care and to move forward in this way. And notice too that it's the Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest. It's it's his work. He's done all the work. Well, all, all we have to do is bring the truth of what Jesus has done to the people. We don't have to do the work itself. Jesus has already done it. We need to let people know, hey, there's been a good work done for you. Here it is. And it's a lot easier than we might make it to be. We tend to try and, and deal with things. When I was kind of dialoguing with my friend, he asked some questions. And my first response was, okay, I'm going to answer that question. You know, he, ta- he said that God was insecure and that God was all these things. And my first response was, okay, let me answer that question. He mentioned you know, a couple of passages in Scripture. I'm going to answer that. And I just had to stop and say, no, I'm not here to try and win an argument I'm here to try and connect him to God. In fact, I think the whole reason this conversation started was because of a quote that said something to the fact that I can't prove God to you. All I can do is hope to lead you to a place where the two of you might meet. That was the quote, and he responded, and we had this little dialogue. And I just had to go back and think, you know, I'm not here to prove anything. I just need to get you to a place where you can see and meet with God, you know. And so we wanted to make sure that, you know, I didn't start an argument. I'm not there to start an argument. I'm there to bring him to a place where hopefully he and God can meet. And I think that place is closer, and and that's what we do. We don't have to win every argument. We don't have to prove God to people. What we have to do is bring them to a place where perhaps they can see God is at work already. All we have to do is go out and do the work of the harvest, collect the fruit, put it in the bucket, and move on. And and so then, Jesus' answer, he calls the 12 disciples, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits, to heal every disease and sickness, 
Jesus' answer is the disciples and is us. In John's gospel, it says, to as many as received him, to them he gave the authority to be called children of God. What he gave to the disciples, the authority he gave them, he gives to us. We are called the children of God if we put our faith in Christ. If we receive him, we have that authority. And so we are the answer to Jesus' prayer. We are the people who are to go out, the workers who are supposed to go out and do collect this harvest. We are the ones who are supposed to be sent out. And the word that he used there, pray to send out, that the Lord would send out, the word that is used there means to thrust. It means to ignite. It's not just, you know, skedaddle. It's with passion. Don't laugh at my word skedaddle. It means to thrust out. It has force. It has the idea of igniting empowering. Pray that the Lord would send out, that he would thrust workers in to the harvest field. That's us. We are to, to be thrust out, to have this fire in us, beneath us, that moves us. And as we have this, and as he gave the authority and the power to his disciples, he gives it to us. And so you have to recognize that you've been called, you've been set aside by God, you have the authority, if you've received Jesus, to do just this. To go out, be laborers for the Lord's harvest. And the things that they did, they drove out impure spirits, they healed every disease and sickness. You know, this is a little intimidating. You see, wow, they did all these things. I don't know that I can do all those things. Well, God is the one who gifts. God is the one who equips people. And not everyone has a gift of healing. Some people do. It's not something that's common or that we see as common, especially in the context that Jesus has. Many times we, we hear about healings that take place, and it's always in churches. You know, you come to the church, and they're going to have a healing service. Well, Jesus' disciples went out and, and did these things. It was miraculous. And we don't always get to do those things that are miraculous. It doesn't mean we can't. It doesn't mean we shouldn't ask. But... I think we can get so focused on the small things that we miss the big things. You know, these were some of the miraculous things that happened as Jesus sent them out. Jesus said that when he goes to the Father, he's going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he is going to empower us. And the works that Jesus did, we will do, and greater works. And you think, what could be greater than the things that Jesus did? I mean, healing someone from, or raising someone from the dead. How do you get greater than that? I raised two people from the dead. I mean, what do you do? You know, I mean, how do you get greater? And I think what Jesus is talking about is what he's talking about here. He's sending out people to do the work of the harvest. Raising someone from the dead is great, but saving someone for eternity would be greater. 
because the person who's risen from the dead is still going to die again. The person who's healed from sickness is still going to die again, or eventually, later. But a person who comes to the knowledge of Christ, who has the good news and receives it, then they're saved for eternity. And so that is a greater work. And I think that is really what he's calling us to. And so the idea of, you know, impure spirits and delivering them, yeah, that's cool. And healing disease, yeah, that's it. But I don't think that's the entire scope of the work. I think the harvest is, again, bringing this good news to the people who are out there. And we need to keep our perspective. Otherwise, we'll get too focused on the things, on the gifts. And it's really about the Lord of the harvest that we need to remain focused on. And then he goes on and he names the 12 apostles. And this should be very encouraging to us, the names of these people, because their names are much like ours. In other words, this group of people is diverse, just like this group of people in here. You've got people on different political sides of the party, different economic status, people who come from a lot of variation in their lives, a whole uh, kind of a, just a motley crew of guys. These aren't the creme de la creme. These aren't the, the top of the pick in anyone's team. This is kind of the average Joes, and that's who his team is. And so there is encouragement in the people that he picks because we fit in. We are part of those kinds of people. And the people that he calls to take and do the harvest are people just like us. And so we need to see that if the motive of mission is love, the beginning of mission is prayer, the resource of mission is the gifting that God gives us, and he gives us what we need to do, what he calls us to do. Are we doing it? Are we being motivated by love for people? Are we praying that the Lord send us and send people? Are we recognizing that God has given us the authority to do this work? If we are, then are we doing it? And what does it look like for us? Well, five of us are going to Haiti. Yay, that's a great thing. We're going out. But what does it look like come Friday morning? What does it look like come Saturday morning? You see, mission isn't just going to another country. Mission isn't looking a certain way. Look, I'm a missionary. Mission is having a posture that cares about other people, that cares enough that it affects us inside. Mission is about wanting what is best for other people and caring enough to bring what is good to them when we see the opportunity to do so. Mission is seeing harvest when other people see Sin. Mission is having God's heart and recognizing that he is thrusting us out to do his work in this world. To reach people. 
for his purposes and with the gospel. How that's done varies between conversations with people. It never happens the same way twice. There isn't a method. But if you care and if you're concerned and you're seeing this, you're going to find a way to reach those you love, those that you care. And it might evolve into different things as time goes on. Pray. God, raise up people who can do this work. God, you've given me authority to do this work. Send me. Help me to go out and do this work. Help me to affect the world around me, the people around me. Help me to care enough to be concerned and to move and to make a difference. I think of Acts 17 when Paul was going through Athens. It says that he was distressed when he saw the place wholly given to idols. Same thing. He was moved. It affected him. He had compassion on them. I think it first begins with us asking, God, give us compassion for the people around us so that we can care and reach out and minister to them. Let's pray. Lord, I do ask that you would give us hearts that would care like you care. Lord, that you would give us eyes to see people as harvest, to see them helpless, harassed. And like you, Father, that we would be willing to teach them and proclaim to them and bring healing and restoration to them from this place of compassion, from this place of concern. God, that we would never become arrogant. We would never misrepresent you, that we would never beat people down more, harass them more, put more religious obligation on them, that we would never scatter them, that we would never put obstacles between them and you and do it in your name. Give us wisdom. Give us love. And help us to represent you effectively. Lord, you've given us authority just like you gave the apostles. You have called us just like you called them. And Lord, we pray that you would raise people up to go out into your harvest, to do your work for your glory. We do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.